ready for some fun? Yeah. Really? Are you ready for some fun? Yeah. You get the, I love the little interaction here. This is good. Well, first of all, let's thank God for the rain. That is pretty cool, right? Yeah. Woo. I, I live out in Bernie, and so, um, you know, the, I, there was also all this lightning and, and thunder, and I thought, okay, God, now you're just showing off, you know? <laughs> And he sent the rain for the land, and he sent the, the sound and light show to remind us that he is a big God, and he can handle any problem that you're facing today. Amen to that? That's pretty good, huh? Woo! That was amazing. There was an elderly woman who called her elderly husband on his cell phone, and she said to him, honey, I'm watching the local news and there's a crazy man driving the wrong way down a one-way road. And he said back to her, no, sweetheart, there's not one, there's dozens of them. <laughs> well, today we're beginning a, a four-week series on filling up your life with joy. And one of the first tests of joy is to see if you still have any laugh in you. There was a New York police officer who was on duty and he came upon a man standing on the edge of a bridge attempting, uh, uh, contemplating suicide. And the police officer said to him, let me make a deal with you. I'll take 10 minutes to tell you why I think life is worth living and then you take 10 minutes to tell me why you think life is not worth living and if I can't convince you, I'll let you jump. 20 minutes later, they both joined hands together and jumped into the water. <laughs> the second test of joy goes beyond outer laughter to taking a look at the inside and to see whether or not you have any hope left in you. Some of you might say, you know, Randy, I can sort of get out a little bit of a laugh in a crowd to kind of fake the audience, but the reality is I feel more like the two guys on the edge of the bridge right now in my life than I do like laughing. Well, I have good news for you because we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about how to fill your life up with joy. And the principles that we're going to share will work. You know how I know that? Because we're going to get the principles from this book. If you brought your Bible with you today, hold it up in the air. iPhones, iPads, they're doable as well as long as they have Bible apps on them. Put them down and open up to the book of Philippians. God's word is true and always takes us down the right paths that lead to right living that result in abundant life. Max just finished a series entitled, You Will Get Through This. And one of the ways the Bible teaches that we will in fact get through it is a passage of scripture that says, the joy of the Lord, you know, is our strength. The strength that we have to get through a situation comes from joy that is in our life, that comes from the Lord being in our life. But let me make an observation. Not all Christians have joy. Have you ever noticed that? Not all Christians have joy. It's available to them as you read the scripture, but it appears as though they have not chosen to take hold of it. But it begins with the choice 
But then there is a second step. If you have your Bible opened up to the New Testament book of Philippians, skip all the way to the back in chapter 4, and we're going to start by looking at verse 12. Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Listen up. If you want joy, it does not come naturally. It comes supernaturally in Christ, and it's something you must first choose. But it doesn't stop there. Paul said, I have joy, but it's something that I learned. Joy is claimed in Christ, and then joy is learned over time. And that's what we're going to do in this little series. I'm going to give you total 20 practical principles from the book of Philippians that will help you learn how to fill up your life with joy and then invite you to put it into play. Now what is Paul's secret? If you'll read the next verse, verse 13, it's one of the most popular, maybe one that you've already memorized. Let's put it on the screen and say it out loud together. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The only way you can pull off any of these 20 principles is to have Christ in you and to rely on his strength to pull it off. Now with that said, let's begin in chapter 1, scoot back to chapter 1. Paul in this first chapter is going to show us and tell us that you and I can have joy, you and I can have inner contentment, we can have purpose in spite of of our circumstances. Here's the first of four declarations we're going to make that come straight from the scripture. We'll put it on the screen and let's say it together. Ready? I have inner contentment and purpose in Christ in spite of my circumstances. Would you like a little bit of that? Well, pull out your outline and your Bible and let me give you five of the 20 principles today. And as you're turning there and pulling out your outline, let me spice the story up for you just a little bit. The writer of this book, whose name is Paul, is writing this book from prison. It's odd, isn't it, to think that the book that, that is called The Treatise on Joy is written not by Tony Robbins or a motivational speaker, not by Mr. Rogers in the neighborhood with a smile on his face in a safe environment, but it is written through the pen of an incarcerated man. He's not incarcerated because he did anything wrong, but rather he's incarcerated because he did something right. He chose to stand up for his faith and declare the gospel and he was thrown into prison, which for most of us would frustrate us. It's one thing to be in prison for doing something wrong. I might be able to settle that in my soul, but to be in prison for doing something right, that's another story. And then to top it off, he not only has joy, but he writes the treaties on joy. This should make you wonder what in the world is going on. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't mind marking up your Bible, and I suggest that you do, take out a pen or a pencil, and in verse 4, I want you to circle the word joy. You may have noticed it. This is the first of 16 times that Paul will use this word in this little book, suggesting that this is the primary subject of this personal letter to the church at Philippi. Now the first question becomes, in the paragraphs we just read, what is Paul doing here that is increasing his joy in spite of being in prison? And I want you to pull out your outline and write this down. He is praying with joy. He is praying with joy by thanking God for the people in his life. Write that down. Praying with joy, not just praying, but praying with joy. You see, most people that are in troubled circumstances pray out of fear because of the circumstances, but Paul is praying with joy because of the people, not the circumstances, the people that God has put into Paul's life. And by the structure of the grammar in this paragraph, he is not waiting till these people happen to come to his mind, but he is proactively calling them to mind in set times of prayer throughout the day. And I wonder to myself, who is he calling to mind that is increasing his joy while he sits in a smelly dungeon? I thought, I pondered, he thought of a guy who always had a smile on his face and he prayed with joy. Another woman he thought of who always bakes him his favorite pie when he comes into town. <laughs> Mine's blueberry and that would fill me with joy. Hint. Got it? Okay. Maybe he thought of a teenager the last time he was in town who was going through a challenge and he had a chat with him and he just got word that this teenager has made the right choice to not get mixed up with the wrong crowd at Philippi High. Or maybe it was a couple that came to his mind that brought him joy because every time he has a conversation with them, they say something encouraging to him. And you need to understand, Paul had so many people tearing him down, so many people just after him, so many people talking bad about him, and he called to mind this couple who never said one bad thing about him, always said something encouraging, or maybe he just thought of the belly laugh of a portly grandpa who showed up at every service, and it just brought him joy to see him in the midst of his circumstances. Now, ask the question, how could this help you increase your joy in spite of your circumstances? Listen carefully. It reminds you that you have more in your life than your current location. You have more than the shackle and chains around you, whatever they may be. You have more than a dungeon and a smelly old prison guard attached to you who could care less about you in your life. If you have committed your life to relationships and to building even a small community around you of family, neighbors, friends, and 
other believers in Jesus Christ. You have a community of people around you. And when you add the people that God has placed around you who believe in you and love you, and you think about that, and you add that or subtract that or minus that from the stinkiness of your current situation, Paul says, if you've devoted yourself to community and you call these people to mind praying with joy, you minus the stinkiness of your current situation and you will still end up in the black on the joy ledger. If you were to practice that principle today, and I encourage you to do so, who would come to mind and how would you pray for joy and thank God for them? I did it this week. I came up, I had a long, long list. I I first of all thank God for my wife who for whatever reason still loves me after discovering almost every bad thing about me in the last 30 years. I thank God for her. I thank God for Max for inviting me to come and to partner with him in the gospel in San Antonio. I thank God for that. We had a little outing on Friday together and we just like two brothers in Christ just thanking God for each other. I thank God for my four children, you know, regardless of their circumstances, but right now as I call them to mind, all four of my children right now, it may not be your situation, but it's mine and I'm thanking God for it, are making good choices in their life. And if you're a parent, you know that brings us joy. <laughs> I thank God for my granddaughter. Any grandparents in the room besides me? Anybody? All right, you know what I'm talking about, huh? I could be in the most troubled of days and she can walk into the room she can walk into the room and put me on my knees with joy. When she walks into my room, she always says the same thing that distracts me. And we took a little video of it, okay? You want to see my granddaughter? Take a look at the screen. Did you hear what she said? Baba, can you come play with me? I thank God for you. For many reasons. There's a lot of reasons to be thankful for you. But you may remember in the last couple weeks if you were here, I I got up and I shared with you where we were at as a congregation financially. Man, so many strong things, but we got a little behind in our overall daily giving to the ministries of this church. $150,000 behind with really only two weeks to catch up before the books came to a close. (laughs) Guess what? You not only met the goal, but you blew right through it. And you know, later on in the letter, Paul is going to thank the Philippians for the same exact thing. And I feel like I'm in the first century as, the, as a person like the Apostle Paul. And you know what that makes you? That makes you my Philippians. And I have to tell you, when I think about these things, I'm pumped. I'm pumped in spite of my circumstances. For principle number two, let's begin reading in verse nine. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is Paul telling us here about how do I increase our joy, contentment, and purpose in spite of our circumstances? Write this down. By learning how to love. 
Learning how to love. Again, love is something that we all desire to have in our life, but oftentimes we think that it will come natural to us, but it doesn't come natural to us. Just like joy, love is supernatural, and it's something that must be learned in Christ. We must learn how to love. Now, love is the predominant theme of the Bible, and it's the predominant characteristic of God. So there's much we can say about love, but one aspect of love is learning how to love the people that God has placed in your life. We, we all receive love differently, don't we? I receive love one way, you receive another, love another way, and the key is, is to learn the love language of the people that God has placed into our life. Certainly, no one has popularized this idea more than Gary Chapman in his best-selling book, The Five Love Languages. Maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't, but it is a powerful book to remind us that we need to learn the love language of the people that God's placed in our life. So I'm going to put up the five love languages, give you a brief definition. As I do so, ask yourself the question, which one is my love language? The way I receive love the best and which one is second for me, okay? Okay, the first one is gifts. The giving of a thoughtful or even a nice gift. Maybe you receive love when someone gives you a gift. Number two, he says, is service. What is service? Doing something for me, taking something off of my to-do list. When you choose to do that for me, more so than a little trinket, you express to me that you love me. That's my language. Number three, words. Words of encouragement. Thoughtful words that tell me how you feel about me, how you appreciate me. I don't need you to do something for me. I don't need a gift. I just need to hear from you. Number four, maybe your love language is touch. Give me a bear hug. Let me put my head in the crevice of your shoulder. Hold my hand. Give me a back rub. Maybe that's your love language. Let's touch. The final one that Gary Chapman brings out is uh, quality time. What's quality time? Hang with me. Choose to spend time with me over something else you would like to do. Come with me. Stay with me. Waste the day away with me. Which one's your number one love language? Which one is number two? Now listen to this. What Chapman says in the book is, we typically love other people based upon what works for us. The key in learning how to love is learning how to love the other person according to their love language. Now ask yourself the question, just one person God has put in your life, what is their love language? It begins by knowing it. If you don't know it, guess what you can do? You can ask them. They likely know it. Or you can look at their face when it happens. Most of us love according to what works for us. A learned lover knows what your love language is and goes outside of their comfort zone to learn how to love you accordingly. Let me give you an example. Uh, For years, my kids on my birthday and Father's Day would give me a gift. And as it turns out, gifts as a whole are not my primary, I mean, I like gifts, but they're not my primary love language. And particularly when I discovered that the gift was paid for out of my bank account, (laughs) that didn't like stress me out even more. 
you know? And so I asked my kids, I said, listen, if you really want to do something for me that's within the realm of what you can do yourself, is if you would just, on my birthday in January and on Father's Day in June, every six months, if you would just write me a note, it could be short, it could be long, and just tell me how we're doing. Can you just tell me how you feel about me? Can you just tell me what, what's up? And for the last 10 years, my kids, on my birthday and on Father's Day, write me a note. Now, I can tell you that I don't have any of the ties that they gave me. I know I don't have the world's greatest dad shirt anymore. I never even used the soap on the rope. But in Randy Frazee's vault, there are no jewels, there are no, there's no gold, but there are letters that I have received from my children. That is my love language. How does this help us when we learn to love other people this way to increase our joy? When we are preoccupied, when we preoccupy ourselves with learning to love others better, we don't have as much time to sit and to sulk and have a pity party about our own current situation. Number two, when we learn how to love other people better, it works. And as a result, it reduces or even eliminates conflict in our relationship, which, by the way, see if you agree, conflict in relationship is maybe the number one joy robber of all. Principle number three, take a look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of love uh, out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I Rejoice. I want you to circle the word rejoice in verse 18. There that word is again. What is Paul talking about? Paul is essentially saying that because he is in prison, other people have been inspired to step up and to take over Paul's job of proclaiming the gospel. Some are doing it out of a good motive, but there are others who are doing it out of a bad motive, trying to slip in and take over Paul's position of prominence in the church. But I love what Paul says. Did you catch it? But what? does it matter the important thing is let me make an observation to you people of joy say that phrase a lot but what does it matter the important thing is people who don't have joy or struggle with joy very seldom say but what does it matter why because everything matters equally to them and they get all wound up about everything and it robs them of joy. You want to have joy? Learn to say as you evaluate the situation in front of you, but what does it matter? The important thing is. Let's try it together. A little training session. Ready? 
But what does it matter? The important thing is. Now on your own. Ready? You can do it. You try that and it will increase your joy. I promise you. This is a classic case of the glass being half full. Now for principle number four, let's look at verse 18. It even gets better. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Wow. Take your pen out and circle in verse 18 the word joy and in verse 25 the word joy. What is Paul doing here? This is really important. How is he increasing his joy in spite of his prison circumstances? He's doing by embracing Write this down, embracing his no-lose situation. This is the granddaddy of all Christian principles on building your level of joy if you are in Christ. What Paul does here is he ponders the worst thing that can happen to him. And in his particular case, the worst thing that could happen to him and actually later does is that he could be put to death. He could die. And he ponders, wait a minute, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus has me covered in this situation. As a matter of fact, if it is my time to die, no big deal because I get to go with, to be with Christ, which is far better. You see what this does in the evaluation of his situation? See, most of us, when we're in our situation, don't ask the question, but people of joy do, what's the worst thing that can happen to me. People who struggle with joy very seldom take the time to ask the question, but what's the worst thing that can happen to me? It's likely that the worst thing that can happen to you is not that you will die, but let's say that it is. Paul says, in Christ, he's got you covered, and you're gonna discover that it's even far better in this situation. You see what this does to bring about a tremendous sense of joy in your life? All right, principle number, uh, last one for the day, verse 27. He writes, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. 
This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I am still having. What is Paul saying here? Write down this final principle. Always take the high road without fear. Always take the high road without fear and it will increase your joy. Let me give you an example. Say that there is someone who is trying to intimidate you or tear you down and they're talking behind your back. They're gossiping about you. Now let me ask you a question. Has that ever happened to anybody else besides me? Right? Now what does that do to you? It literally makes you feel yucky. It just really robs you of joy, doesn't it? Paul says, in those kinds of circumstances when people are trying to tear you down or even destroy you or oppose you and they say, have gossiped about you behind your back and it's working through the gossip chain, what should you do to increase your joy? Always take the high road without fear. What does that mean? First of all, it begins, step one, by going to the Lord and claiming who is the, de who is the de declarator of your identity and say Jesus the last time I checked you are the one who has given me worth I am a child of the king I have a card that says I'm a citizen of heaven it appears to me that yesterday and even today you are the one who declares that I am a somebody it is not this person's position to do that and therefore I do not grant them the position to determine my worth today Step number one. Step number two, um, you should seek to go to them. Now this would be really courageous. This is the without fear part. You should go to them and ask them what they were thinking. Just say you'd like to learn more or you know, verify that they were saying this. I mean, go to them directly, okay? This is the without fear part. You know why this will work? And this is what he says about, uh, about them being destroyed. Most people in my experience who are intimidators and gossipers are also cowards. And when you approach them, they will back down and never bully you again. They'll say, man, if I gossip about so-and-so, they're gonna be on my doorstep again. Step number three, pray. First of all, pray for your enemies. That's what Jesus said. It will do amazing things. And number two in your prayer, now this is the big one. Say to the Lord, Lord, there might be an ounce of truth in the criticism that I was receiving. Would you teach me what I can learn from that criticism that was done out of an ill motive? And I promise you, if you practice those principles, taking the high road, not responding with a counterattack with the same tactics, but take the high road without fear, you will increase your joy. Does that make sense, church? So today we have covered five of 20 principles of how to increase your joy in Christ. If Paul were to knock on your door today and say, how are you doing? You might have been inclined to say, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Be prepared because Paul will tell you if you're in Christ, well, what are you doing under there for? Do you not know, have you not heard that in Christ you can rise above your circumstances and live in joy? But if you believe what we have talked about today, and if Paul or anyone else knocks on your doorstep and asks you how you're doing, let's put the phrase back up on the 
screen again. Let's say it together. This is what you can say. Say it with me. I have inner contentment and purpose in Christ in spite of my circumstances. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Father, we now come to you with our prayers to practice exactly what we have learned today. Receive our prayers as one dependent upon you because we are. In Jesus' name, amen.